0: on the house every Arizona homeowner's best friend
1: come on around back Arizona Saturday morning eight o'clock the outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the house your Saturday morning tradition since 1988 and yes can you believe it already here the second Saturday of September we're gonna be talking about planting shade but first off we're gonna talk about the Arizona Rosewood, our tree of the month. And to do that, we've got Justin Ronner of Agriscaping joining us in studio. Good morning. Sir, you've already been out and about. It's uh days are getting shorter though. You didn't have much daylight before you got here.
0: No, starting at six AM, it was uh, just kind of first light at six AM, but it's beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful out there. If you haven't if you're not getting up early, you're missing the best part of the day
1: right now this time of year. I've actually had a goosebumps the last couple of mornings when I walked out the house to go feed, just before the sun comes up. I'm like,
0: ooh, and that's not just anticipation of, uh, of heat coming with those goosebumps; it's the actual
1: <laughs> cold. You feel that little <laughs> bit of breeze cool in the air. It's just coming across the back of your neck sends a little shiver up your spine. I love it.
0: Yeah, we're just starting to be reminded why we live in Arizona. <laughs>
1: hey, it wasn't way. for the last three months. No, no,
0: it was work. <laughs> it was work to get outside and to be outside and stay outside. It was a bit of work. So, yeah, this Arizona rosewood tree of the month, I think this is one that has been missing from people's yards for quite a long time. And for all you that have those oleanders out there and you know of all the problems, this is your best alternative to the oleander. This is an evergreen, so similar kind of look, has a beautiful white flower, but it's non-toxic to pets and people. It's actually in the same family as roses. And so you get a, a very similar experience, but again, it's a it's an evergreen and it's more native here to Arizona and not to be confused with the Indian rosewood, which is a much taller tree. Uh, the Indian rosewood is also known as the sisu, which we often don't recommend in small yards. So,
1: so but are the are they related? The they're Indian not. They're rosewood not. In the Arizona? No.
0: No. This is the common names. You know, Arizona rosewood would be the common name for it. Uh, whereas the sisu would be the common name for the Indian rosewood. And so Arizona rosewood, it's a uh, vacu, l- vacu- li- man, I never do these <laughs> names very good. This is why I love the, the common names. We in common folk, we talk common names, even though I might have studied with herbology and everything. Uh, it's I'm going to just kind of try to say it out for you so you know the name of it. It's the vacua Californica is what we're talking about today. And uh, again, Arizona rosewood, it's more of a bush like an oleander. So if you've seen an oleander, this is very similar in shape and form. Uh, Its height can grow up to 30 feet tall, just like an oleander can. But it's something that's more of a bush like thing, keeping it 10 to 15 feet tall is more applicable. Uh, it does have cluster flowers of white flowers. They're all usually always white, whereas you can get uh, in the oleander world, you can get the pinks and stuff. But again, non-toxic and also evergreen. It does also pr- produce a little bit of a fruit, similar to kind of like a rose hip in little clusters. Not a real problem, though. It's not very messy because it is uh, a, a more of a desert-adapted evergreen as opposed to, you know, like an oleander, which is more of a subtropical type evergreen, which drops leaves all the time. Uh, These things are much more drought tolerant also than your oleander. And if you haven't, some of the rotting that's happening, I don't know, through a lot of Scottsdale and stuff of the oleanders,
1: replace them with this beautiful rosewood. I think you'd be very happy with that selection. So can you shape it, or does it naturally kind of grow in a shrub style? Because you're talking about replacing oleanders, and a lot of times, you know, those are privacy, you know, natural privacy walls. Will it be a, a shrub style? without having to do a lot of extra work on it
0: yeah not a lot of extra trimming it actually won't need as much trimming as often those oleanders do and we were at a yard just uh, just this week and we trimmed back the oleander to found the core of it it was 10 feet on one side so it was just 10 feet of overhang that grew into this this family's yard from their neighbor's oleanders i mean so it was 10 feet in they'd lost 10 feet of their little backyard all from just their neighbor's oleander. So these ones actually have a little bit denser uh, growth habit, which makes it a lot better
1: for smaller spaces as well, but can also be used for a nice nice hedgerow. And this question is kind of out of left field, but one thing that always bothered me about oleanders, you talked about the different colors. You can have your reds, your pinks, your whites. It seemed like they never all grow consistent. You know, you've got this two bushes over here that are red and they're 10 feet taller than this little one over here that's white and scraggly looking. And then you got this pink one that's a different size. You could never get a clean, uniform presentation.
0: Yeah, there's usually two things going on there. One, it's like you're talking about. There's different varieties and sub-varieties and different variants. There's so many different variants and they grow differently. And the second thing is usually a, a watering issue. Usually you have one head that's going to be a little less and it's not going to grow as fast. And then you got another uh, emitter head that's, growing, that's putting out twice as much water and it's going to grow twice as fast. So it's... Uh, it is important if you want to create hedgerows that look very even, you got to have them planted exactly the same, you have to have the exact same variety, and then you also need to make sure that you got the exact same watering system each one and that they're they're checked every now and then just to make sure that they're watering consistently and they're not pinching themselves off because that's another thing that can often happen with oleanders is those roots are very invasive in most cases and they can actually pinch off their own water supply if the irrigation system isn't set up correctly for a, an oleander. Uh, so these ones aren't as invasive root system-wise. The Arizona rosewood will have a, a little bit softer root-type system uh, that won't have as big of an issue with regard to the longevity of it um, because it is more desert-adapted already as well. It's not going to need as much water. So if you water a little bit more, it'll grow a little faster. you water a little less, it just it, it hinders its growth. But you can have that beautiful white-flowering look uh, on a nice hedgerow with the Arizona rosewood, and it's pretty much the same plant every time.
1: You pretty much answered my question there. If I ripped out my oleanders, put in the Arizona rosewood, would the same irrigation setup work? It would work. It actually probably work better
0: for the Arizona rosewood than it did for your oleander. You could probably even reduce the, the water amount on it once they're established. I mean, you can definitely back off even a lot more than you can on the... On the oleanders. So if, if there's a, a marketing expert out there that wants to help us create a new campaign to replace all the oleanders in Arizona with the Arizona ro- Rosewood, let's talk. I'd really love to talk to you because I think it is a great answer to a lot of the challenges people are having with the oleander and the concerns they have for their pets and their families. Uh, number one thing with the uh, oleander, do not... Um, make a fire with with wood from an oleander. You may find yourself uh, in the bathroom more often than you'd you'd like. It, it is toxic. Even the smoke from that
1: is toxic. Now, what's your favorite method of removing oleander? Napalm? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good question. Oleanders are
0: are notorious for growing themselves back. You can't just trim them down to the ground and think that they're going to be gone. You really got a core core cut out. At least get that base core out. Um, Depending on the size of it, you know, we'll come in with a a little backhoe or mini excavator and have to dig out that core section or even saw cut the the perimeter roots and then pull out that core. Um, But for the most part, you got to just rip them out entirely because they do, uh, those roots will want to grow back. But if you get the core out, the the lateral roots aren't going to grow up on their own like a sisu would. So not as bad as a sisu. But they do have a tendency to be able to grow back if you just cut them to the ground. That's actually one of the techniques people use with their oleanders. They trim it all down to the ground every year and then let it grow back uh, to try to keep it under control. But that's uh, you don't need to do that with an Arizona rosewood. So, again, Arizona rosewood, uh, find one today <laughs> if you can. Uh, we're going to be stocking up on those. a uh, great time to be planting it as well. Once we hit you know nighttime lows under 70 degrees, these types
1: of trees actually are
0: great at planting now.
1: And – what can't you plant right now? I don't. I think the the, the list is zero. The
0: list is. pretty I mean, unless darn you want to do
1: like, you know, if you're looking for to get pumpkins for Halloween, you missed that boat. You or miss melons. That. You know, you know, there, there's gardening stuff that's you've missed the plant for. But outside of vegetable gardening, it, yeah, your we, trees, your your tropicals,
0: great time to be tra- planting tropicals. Even your stone fruits right now. I know a lot of people kind of wait for uh, the, the bare root season so I can get a cheaper tree, big tree. And that's, that's that's good. There is a percentage of people that may not figure out how to plant those well, and they die. And so it's kind of interesting because they, they do work really well with the bare root trees, uh, but they don't plant until January, February. Um, but if you're planting a tree right now that's in a pot, a fruit tree, well, you know it's successful. It's already leafed out, and that's one of the major components that deter people from a bare root is that it may not leaf out. And they might have put all that money into nothing. Uh, So if you do find fruit trees right now in the nurseries, you already know it's successful. It's already leafed out. It's ready to go. You can plant it in the ground. It's going to defoliate in your property and then regrow again in the spring uh, happy to be in a new location you know with some room to grow its roots and one misnomer people think that these fruit trees grow roots in the winter time they do not grow roots in the winter time they only grow roots when the leaves are on so if you can get them in now they're going to grow a little bit of root into here into your garden right now and uh, as the leaf drops it's actually storing up a lot more energy into those roots and so you're going to end up with a much bigger tree next year than what you planted today.
1: And on all of those stone fruits, citrus. I mean, all of these things take a couple of years to really get into production. I, it, unless you're already buying it maturely, and even then, it seems like, and from observation, you are, you buy a tree that's already in harvest, five, six, seven years old, and it's producing, and you plant it. It it will still produce some, but it takes a year or two or three to get established in its new, you know, natural planting zone to really kick into full production
0: yeah and i definitely recommend that first year after you plant any fruit tree to to pick a lot of just thin out a lot of the fruit that forms that first year uh some say prune them all off i mean just pluck all the the baby fruits off um but i'm i'm one of those that has my kids and i want them to experience things a little faster they're used to you know the the drive through (laughs) mentality where you order and you get your food really fast so they want that in their garden too and so what we'll do is we'll leave a couple of fruit. But it also gets you in the habit of thinning your tree and seeing how big your fruit grows when you only got one on that tree. You know, you got the that that's a better way to go just to pull as many as you can off, maybe leave one or two, protect those so you can experience what that is the first year, but what you're really trying to do is make sure that most of the growth is going into the root system of that tree. You'll end up with three times as many fruit the following year. If you simply do something like that, you pull those other fruits off so because you have a much bigger, more vibrant tree that's going to produce a lot more fruit from you, for you for years and years to come. And you know how few people
1: do that. Yeah. It's know. it's so hard. Well, like, I mean, even me. I go out there like, no, this is my little fruit. going to yeah. Watch it bloom and nourish and grow. No, you got to – I always say go get your neighbor to do it and say yeah. here's, here's what I want you to do. Walk away. Don't watch them do it and just let them – Hack it to death.
0: (laughs) Well, for those that that's the case, because I know I was that as a kid. I was like, what are we doing thinning all these apricots off? You know, it's like, oh, we want all these apricots. And I remember my mom telling me once, she said, well, if we don't thin them off, all we get is pits. And we just have a lot more pits because there's hardly any fruit on the around that pit, and that's what happens if you don't thin them out, if you don't do the your due diligence to 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 thin out what's on there you know it's the difference between a peach at the store. so if you go to a store peach store bought peach you usually got a lot more peach than pit right and one of the complaints from a lot of clients that have planted fruit trees they'll get the backyard um, pear trees and the plum trees and the peach trees they'll get that backyard peach tree. And they're like, why are my fruits so small? I was like, well, most likely you left too many on early on. And so too much energy went into growing pits, which takes a lot more nutrient to be able to create that dense pit than it does to create the fruit and the flesh. And so if you can pick a lot of those off, let that fruit grow. They'll grow much larger, which with much more nutrient around the the pit, which means a lot more food for you. So less pits, more fruit
1: Thin those trees. There's a lot I could go with there, but I won't because it's time for a break. And you can join the conversation with Justin Ronner of Agriscaping here at Rosie on the House. Do you know what the definition of an acorn is? Well, in a nutshell, it's an oak tree. (laughs) In a nutshell. Talking trees. Hey, well, we talked about the great time of year it is to plant doesn't do any good if you don't put it in the right place.
0: That's right. Uh, You know, really site selection for your plants this time of year, really important, especially with your vegetables. Uh, But we'll talk trees first. I mean, for the most part, your trees, you're wanting to create shade. And so probably one of your best places to be planting most of your trees is going to be in a location either on the westerly side of your house or on a southerly or southwesterly side so it can create some shade in the late afternoon for you and your property. That's going to be the most comfortable place for you to be hanging out with, with, with that shade tree with, you know, supporting you there. But um, for the most part, uh, people don't really recognize as soon as they get here to Arizona, they're trying to create a lot of shade. But uh, in the summer or in the wintertime, we're trying to produce a little less sh- shade for our gardens because we want that sunlight to come in. But the angle of the sun is going to change. It's already starting to drop its way down like we were talking about earlier in the show. It's like the sun's coming up later, which means it's actually showing up a little lower on the horizon. It's a little more southerly. And we've got about a 22-degree angle shift here in most of Arizona where that sun drops down about 22 degrees in the sky, which means that the angle coming into your patio, if you've got a south-facing patio, you've got sun that's going to be coming right onto your patio now. Uh, whereas in the summer months you, you didn't have it. It was, it was all, it was all in the shade, but then on the North side of your property, you're going to have shade extending out about as tall as your house is tall and nothing's going to grow very fast in that area over, over the next six months. weeds weeds they'll find a way those weeds will find a way but they're going to Not be nothing leggy nothing you want nothing you want may grow there but it's going to be a little leggy on that side and, and they'll be easier to pull out they're going to be much they're going to have a lot tougher time growing and so in terms of you know where to place your plants if you're going for a permanent tree you're again you're looking for something that's going to create some shade for you in the summertime but if you do want to plant a garden it's nice to have some afternoon shade for your vegetable garden So having a tree that can grow up on that west side, great. Uh, So it can shade the garden in the afternoon, but you want that tree to be deciduous, which means it's going to lose its leaves in the wintertime so that that same garden, when it's great to grow here in Arizona, it's going to lose its leaves and provide the sunlight's going to come through that and then get back onto your garden again. So in terms of site location, those things need to be taken into consideration. We call those microclimates. And so there's some that are static in your garden that are mi- static microclimates, and there's others that are variable because of planting a tree like that.
1: Without thinking about it, top three deciduous trees on your on your list.
0: On my list, I'll put a peach tree on there. Be a good one. Ooh, uh, the nice. Fantex ash, if I want a very big, large uh, shade tree. And why I say the Fantex is because that one in particular holds its leaves a lot longer it it turns a beautiful yellow color very even yellow fall you get that fall leaf and it happens uh, about December and then it's lost its leaves for January February and then it starts growing back into February and so the coldest months it's letting all the sunlight in which is perfect perfect for your house perfect for the warm sun into your house as well and then it starts growing back really quick right when it starts kind of warming back up so that's one of my favorite in terms of a large shade tree that's a great one uh, another one deciduous that I really love that also produces a fruit is the mulberry we were talking about that one on the break and uh, that mulberry tree they grow fast very round habit uh, and as you found out you know they, they might keep growing back for you even if your goat eats them to the ground
1: right <laughs> <laughs> something about mulberry bark that a goat loves to strip off uh, we've lost multiple f- uh, for that reason you you think you're doing something nice oh We'll put the pen around this tree so they've got the shade. No, they eat the shade. They eat the shade. you got to put a and then fence they go, around yeah, it for a bit. Yep. You do. You really do. And you know what? Uh, I put hog wire around it. Middle of the night, screaming its head off the goat. I'm like, what the heck is going on? It had stuck its head through the hog cloth and got its horns cut so it couldn't pull it back out. So it's stuck there. <laughs> so not, you, I, not only do you have to do hog cloth, but then you have to wrap it in two Wraps of chicken wire, so they can't cut through. Cut through that too. So you gotta you gotta fence your tree, and then fence the goats around that. Well, and hopefully, then... hopefully
0: that tree's getting big enough. You can put a, a just a beautiful little chair around that base part, so they can't eat eat the lower bark on it. They can still eat the trees, and put the cute little, uh, you know, the little chairs or whatever the benches that sit around the trees. You maybe ought to do something like that. Then they're at least standing up and eating
1: leaves, helping you trim your tree rather than eating the bark. Well, here's how hardy it is. So after the goat eats it, and it. We cut it off at the ground. I think I'm going to have to go buy a new one. It grows back. Big enough that our friend comes over for the night to ride horses and practice rodeo events with the kids. Put the panels up, put the horse underneath. The horse eats the tree. <laughs> it grows back. We have our table underneath it and we sit under it for shade right now. This thing has come back four times. Very hardy tree. Tree, so small a man. A man may grow for all his worth, but only trees are down to earth. So tall a tree, so small a man. All right, I said we were going to talk about seeds next during the break, but <laughs> we just got a text in about the red push pistache, which we talked about as soon as we went to the break. So That's right. I think it, let's let's go back. We talked about deciduous trees Justin rifled off his top three off the top of his head without thinking about it uh and then we started talking about the red push pistache what do you think about them
0: i love the red push pistache that one's another great one especially for perimeters and stuff uh it drops its leaves a bit sooner so if you want to bring that warm sun in a little bit earlier that actually works really well very dense shade tree barely have to trim the thing and it creates a beautiful round beautiful tree uh, if you want to see some specimens of those trees uh, down in Gilbert Power Ranch neighborhood, if you go into the vineyards, the entry points to to a lot of uh, Power Ranch neighborhood is all red push pistache. And why they call it a red push pistache is actually kind of beautiful about it too, because in the springtime, as it puts the new leaves out, they come out red, and it has a, a red leaf, and then they turn a dark green after they f- they first push out the red, and then they turn green. Now in the winter time, as it gets cold, if we can get If we can get a good chill, then as they drop the leaves, they actually turn red also. It's one of the only trees that you can grow here in Arizona, especially in the low desert areas, that
1: will actually turn a a beautiful red color in the fall. And that's the Red Push Pistache. And it's kind of funny because it's like a... You know, the Christmas colors, green and red, but yeah. you get that in the spring. You get it in summer. the spring,
0: too. You, you also get it in, and then it actually has these cool little red berries that'll kind of that grow on it. I mean, some people think, oh, those are pistachios. It's like, no, it's not a pistachio. A little bit different variety of tree, but similar family. But uh, it does have, like, these kind of clusters in the, in the winter. As it drops the leaves, you'll see these clusters of kind of berry-looking
1: things that are on the trees as well. It's a beautiful tree, very it, beautiful tree. It's a little slower growing than a lot of people like. Right. Uh, so, if if you've got the time and the patience for it, though, it's a it's a very hard tree to beat if you're looking for a good deciduous shade tree. And you were talking about and Gilbert, another place you can go see them is if you're on the west side, that new northern uh, parkway from about where it kicks in. Uh, what is that? It's near near Luke Air Force Base, all mm-hmm. the way to the three hundred three. Anything on either side of the road that's not a native tree and that's not a shrub, those are red push Pistache. Oh, beautiful! Be, it is a that's beautiful, a beautiful drive. There. Oh, especially like you're talking about in the spring when everything's red. It's a it, they did a really nice job on that freeway uh, landscape.
0: Yeah, and that's a great one too. They they're. I would say it's a mid-range in terms of its water hardiness, you know, they, they do need a little bit more water than you would put on any of your mesquite trees or your palabreas or palaverdes, but not as much water as you might need to be putting on some of those palm trees and tropical stuff that you that people are growing in their
1: gardens now. All right, so with that, thank you for the text and you can send those text questions to 411923 and if you've got a clean phone line and you're not driving and we don't hear the bluetooth and the highway noise in the background, you can Call one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight one triple eight Rosie for you to join the conversation or ask your landscape gardening question. But seeds, how how do you know you have a healthy seed?
0: Well, and that's a good point. Right now, great time to be planting seeds. There's a there's a huge list of things, vegetable wise, that you can get started right now. You know, via seed. Uh, one way to test your seeds, if you've had seeds like in your garage or someplace, you know, in your house for quite a while, you'll want to check those seeds. Get about ten of those seeds, and what we like to do is we'll soak them for about an hour. You take those seeds, soak them for about an hour, and then you put them in uh some damp paper towels. And uh and what you'll do with that is you'll just set them on the counter, maybe even in a little bit of a, a Ziploc bag. We'll put a paper towels in a Ziploc bag. Same kind of thing you did when probably Uh, preschool or kindergarten they do these little tests to see something sprout so you do a little test run with some of your seeds to see how viable they are and if you got 10 seeds in the in the little bag within three days you should see some root growth on those seeds uh, some some stemming on that and uh, that'll give you an indicator that you got a good seed And if there's 9 out of 10 of them that are good, then, well, hey, you know you got a 90% germination rate, and you can start planting those with that type of confidence. Now, when you get a pack of seeds, if it's been left in the garage, they can get a little heat stressed, and the germ, too much water leaving that internal of the germ will kill the germ, which is what makes it germinate. And if that happens, then the seed's just not going to grow. And uh, another indicator uh, for uh, seeds is if there's damage, if they're cracked or anything like that, that's not likely going to be a very viable seed. So healthy seeds, very important, so you don't have a lot more disappointment than you deserve as you try (laughs) to plant your garden and nothing seems to sprout up.
1: Can I ask you a quick question? You bet. So where is the best place to store those seeds? I've heard in the refrigerator, so I have some seeds in there. Is that a good idea or not?
0: Refrigerator is a great place to store seeds. We even freeze some of our seeds. Uh, you just want to make sure that you don't have too much moisture. Make sure that the, the moisture content, so there's, there's, there's really no moisture left. If you're harvesting your own seeds, you need to get them dry down to about 12% so they don't crack. Um, but refrigerator is my favorite place to probably put them. We've got a whole fridge, actually my garage, dedicated to <laughs> seeds and and that's where we store them long term for for most of our stuff. Otherwise, we keep them in a pantry so it stays about room temperature is fine as long as they stay incredibly dry. So keeping keeping them dry is an important piece of the puzzle.
1: Now, I've also heard underneath the uh like a bathroom sink vanity. If you've got a cabinet underneath the the sink, you can stick them under there or underneath the kitchen my my first reaction is you you have room under there? To yeah, put some, there's room. something <laughs>
0: Well, my only concern with that would be the ambient moisture content that you're likely going to have underneath the sink like that, especially if it starts to leak. And I'm, I'm sure you guys know plenty on the house side of you know where, where the leaks typically happen. It's usually underneath the sink, right? And it rots out the bottom area and you got this ambient humidity and molds grow and all that stuff. So with all those conditions, I would recommend not going underneath the sink as a place to go. Uh, I would put them more in my pantry. And another cool thing about putting these types of things in a pantry uh, if you got more of a root cellar kind of in a pantry kind of environment, it reminds you that that's food, and that you can actually plant them at some point. And so wherever you got your food storage, even in a cabinet or a, just having seeds and having your seeds there, again a good reminder. Maybe even in the same place you put your herbs. I've seen a number of our clients they'll put them in their in their herb cabinet, and they'll have their seeds in their herb cabinet. Another good reminder that hey, we can we can grow our own food. This is this is food. It's not just. Uh, you know something that we we do once a year maybe it's something we do all the time just as often as we're as we're pulling
1: herbs from our cabinet we should be planting seeds in our garden and when we're planting seeds in our garden what is the fall garden harvest what, what types of crops are we looking to plant right now
0: well a lot of things we've been working with our high schools right now we're planting a lot of stuff in our high school gardens uh, so they're they're planting a lot of the the kales lettuces kohlrabi, broccoli cauliflower we're starting to get into a lot of beans a lot of varieties of beans you can be planting right now um, it's almost anything but fruits uh, is pretty much what we're planting right now radishes I mean if you want a really quick experience you know grab yourself some 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 radishes some nice little breakfast radishes French breakfast radish ones throw those in the ground they're going to sprout super fast and they're going to be ready to eat in under 30 days in most in most cases so watermelon I, radishes watermelon radishes oh. even better those are those are wonderful that's With a, great a little one. hummus on the top ah. can't be beat there you go see we're, we're already
1: salivating see and seeds turn into that see thats sometimes we forget it just got to wait a little bit watch them grow first. I've also heard radishes are a great perimeter around your garden to deter rabbits.
0: Well, they eat those first. They'll have a little spicy experience. (laughs) It's a a good one because they do grow fast. They recover fast. Uh, My favorite thing to deter rabbits is actually society garlic or chives, something that's more in the alum family that's got a a stink to it, I guess you could say, kind of creates a smell barrier since those rabbits work so much on what they smell, and that's what they're going after. And so doing those on those perimeters, great things to have, great things to grow this time of year too. You can chive seeds, that's something we're growing right now as well. Leeks, this is actually a great time to get your leeks started and not the leek underneath your sink, but this
1: is the other type of leek that we like to grow and put in soup. Now, I talk about this, and it's embarrassing that I haven't built it yet, but the the bad thing about fall gardening is it also hits the same time rodeo starts. Oh, Kids fall baseball you know, it's the, the, the timing. You know, there's only so much you have in a day to get done. But I love the look, the style, and the functionality of a keyhole garden. Mm. And picture an old-fashioned lock, and you've got the round top and the little triangle underneath it. That's the same thing. You know, picture that looking down from a bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. So you walk in from the bottom, and ninety degrees around you is your garden. And so you don't have to do a lot of walking. You know, it's, it's a raised garden style. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that, you know, put it up about hip high. So then you can walk into that keyhole garden, and from left to right or right to left, you can do all your harvesting, pruning, weeding, clipping, gathering, and all you have to do is is rotate. You know, you're not bending down you're not you know walk crawling on your hands and knees you're not going in this big i mean it's all of this work is done in a you know just simply by rotating i love that style uh but you mentioned something as you were coming in about trampoline gardening
0: yeah so you can basically think of that same keyhole garden concept uh and if you got kids or you got a trampoline and you put it in the ground you probably notice it probably collects more it it collects a lot of kids toys down in there that you have to pull springs out to get down there so what we did is we actually now create gardens underneath trampolines and so it's got a little stairway that goes down just like you were describing so a little walkway in and then you're surrounded you know almost 270 degrees is all all gardens but a terraced garden so you got a little seat wall with a garden and then there's another level up that's about four feet high and then you've got a, a garden all around you surrounding yourself down in there and it's a Crazy cool little microclimate under there because it's it's got a little bit more shade. Uh, it's got a higher ambient humidity, and so it becomes a great place to grow more tropical and subtropical kind of plants actually year-round in those,
1: in those trampoline gardens. Now, do you have to have like a little red flag that you put up so it lets people know don't jump right now? Dad's underneath the trampoline.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that might be a good idea. We haven't tried that one yet. Most of the time, we'll we'll go seven feet down. The way we set them up, it's actually you you can actually sit on the chair. You can sit on the the seat wall down at the bottom, and the kids can still jump, and it's not gonna not gonna jump on you.
1: Now, what do you do? We don't get a lot of downpours where you would have to worry about it flooding strictly by the amount of rain that falls out of the sky. But you know, if it was in a place where you got roof runoff or it was channeling down. You know, and it could flood. What are you doing to prevent that from, from filling up? Because I, and especially with it shaded like that, you get a little bit of moisture in there. And it sounds like a, a, a mosquito hay, heaven harvest. Might stay haven. forever.
0: <laughs> well, one of the benefits of going down seven, seven feet is that you end up crossing at least some vein of, of more permeable soil which would allow it to drain through. There's only been really one time we've done that one of those gardens where we actually had to add additional drainage at the base. But we always do put a, a good amount of gravel at the bottom, so we create a good permeable surface. And one really popular thing for a lot of our clients right now is we actually put AstroTurf at the very bottom. And so it looks it looks green down there. You nice. look down in there, and it's beautiful. And then that also helps with the water percolating through, and so it's, nothing's going to be collecting. The other thing is making sure that you're, you're setting up that trampoline garden in a way that it kind of ridges up on the exterior so that any rainfall is going to actually be pushed away from that trampoline garden. Hello, my name is Dennis Rusk. I'm the president and owner
1: of ABC Glass. You're listening to Rosie on the House. Thank you, Dennis. Way to liven us up here, man. <laughs> I, th- I think you might have recorded that at the end of the day. Questions coming in for you, sir. Now, this person usually we mention a name tied to it, but I won't because she is looking to gift her daughter and son-in-law a tree for Christmas. Oh. And I don't so I don't wanna put any names out there to potentially, you know, spoil the, the surprise. Uh the the daughter and son in law live in the Mesa area. I don't know when she says fairly large what her reference of, of that is. In terms of the size of the tree that they want to do, the or... the yard that they the have to plant okay. it in. Okay. Uh but she was thinking about an Arizona ash and it's a rocky landscape. So I'm picturing, you know, quarter minus out there or something like that. What what tree would do great and that environment
0: so an arizona ash would, would do great uh, or a bonita ash or even the Fantex. those are all good options if you're looking for that type of tree the the arizona ash will have a more upright habit so it's not going to create a big wider canopy it's going to be a little taller growing when it comes to ash trees one question i would ask and make sure i get to know a little bit more about their neighborhood is to see if they have any restrictions on the types of trees because there are some neighborhoods in mesa that have hoa pretty strict hoas that uh pretty much outlaw certain types of trees or they have an approved list. And so maybe better to, you know, pull from that approved list kind of starting point is look at that approved list. The other thing I like to do if I'm gifting a tree is I want to find out, uh, you know, what type of things they love, what, what, what spaces they love to go visit and bringing a tree that has a little more depth and meaning that might remind them of some place they lived. I mean, if it's a daughter and it's their family, maybe it's looking at the, you know, where they were married or looking at some type of storyline that I'll align. And I always love doing that with gifting plants. Align it with something that's special about them. Because one of the challenges you may have if you're doing an ash tree and you're gifting it on Christmas is that's going to look like a stick in a pot because it's all the leaves are going to be gone. So it's not going to be the prettiest looking tree. So if you're going to be gifting a tree like that good shade tree, ash tree, yeah, Christmas time, it's not going to look great, so you may want to decorate it, maybe put some little lights on it, and make that part of the gift just so it looks good for Christmas <laughs> on the gifting. It's not just a dead tree. It's going to
1: come back, I, I, I tell you. You're beautiful on the inside. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's, it's all, the potential is there. The potential is there. All right, so text question. 25-foot alderica pine. I know when I water it, <clears throat> it needs to go slow for several hours. question is, how often and how many days in between watering?
0: So uh, Alderica pine is also known as an Afghan pine. Uh, those sides if it's 25 feet tall, hopefully it's already tapped into really some good deep water because um, that's a big tree. And uh, these trees, once they get about that tall, they're going to start having some major stress. A few hours is not enough. It's going to be more of an odor overnight slow watering. And that's in order to get those, those bigger pine trees to survive, that's what it's going to need. And it's going to need that at least once a month, year round, and then twice a month. Uh, when you're in the in the summer months Um, and so right now I'd probably say you might want to still keep it to about a twice a month every two weeks of very deep watering but it's going to be overnight and you want to make sure that that water gets at least three feet deep now everybody's soil is a little bit different and so this recommendation goes to all of you on the depth of where the water goes you're going to have to be able to get a probe as you're watering it as it gets to the end of it that you should be able to slide it down and as long as you're not hitting the root. It's going to slide down relatively easy with about, about 50 pounds of pressure. We'll be able to go down into the ground, about a number three rebar or smaller, and be able to p- force that into the ground and see if it gets down to that three-foot level. That'll be the start of where that water needs to go for a tree
1: that big. And on the <clears throat> Afghan pine, it's, really, it's one of those trees that'll keep you on your toes because it's completely opposite of what everything else is. It needs more water in the winter and less in the summer. Right, because
0: it's still growing, it's still green, it's still live, uh, and so it's important to keep re- to remember that they still need some good water. And uh, again, it's got to get very, very deep. It's more about depth than it is than it is time. And so, however long you need to water it slowly to get at least three feet deep, is what you're really going after. And then the frequency would be: I usually wait on my pines till about the top inch or two inches goes dry before i then water again. So. Based on your soil, it's going to be a different frequency. So hopefully you can hear, hear me on that. It's based on your soil, a different frequency. But in general, about every two weeks uh, in, the, in the summer months and then
1: once a month through the winter months. That's one of those uh, things where you, know, you so many times we get in the way of ourselves. We get stubborn and we get so set on what we want. And I wanted Aleppo Pines. I wanted it on the south side of the property. Uh, and I was going to plant one every year at uh, Christmas time for each year we lived on the property. And, you know, ha- at the end have this beautiful display on the south side and all these – you can't find Aleppo pines. But I wasn't going to do an afghan because I wanted Aleppo. Ten years later, I've got no trees on the south side of the property. I've got a neighbor building the ugliest structure you've ever seen in your life that you have to stare at every day. <laughs> and if I had just – Planted something. Done what everyone said. (laughs) Just plant an Aleppo and get over it, Romy. I'd have a nice Aleppo shade screen on the south side of the property. No. No, Just get out of the way yourself. When somebody gives you advice, okay, maybe, maybe not – When seven people tell you the same thing, (laughs) might
0: as well start doing (laughs) it. Maybe you
1: should listen then.
0: And, And the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. I mean, that's what we say, you know, the best time to plant a tree was yesterday. And so, and it, it's always a good time usually to plant a tree. And especially right now, absolutely a great time to be thinking about trees, thinking about the shade you want for next summer and, and to start putting those trees into play. Uh, and, putting them in the right spot, very important. You can find us at agriscaping.com. That's another great way to get an assessment. If you want an assessment done, a microclimate map, those kind of things, very helpful uh, for those that are trying to get started, get a plan really made out for your property.
1: And in the final 40 seconds, explain the concept of what agriscaping is.
0: So agriscaping is bringing together the best of productive agriculture with the best of ornamental landscaping. So really trying to create a a landscape that tastes as good as it looks, has some utility to it, not just beauty. And as we weave those two concepts together, you find that you're going to be in the garden a bit more. And it's going to provide you a lot more sustenance and value to your life. I mean, you know, you, it's got to taste good. You can have your landscape and eat it too. There you
1: go. That's <laughs> that's what we do. Agriscaping.com. Justin Rohner, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us.